Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, founder and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So we're in this weird place today where we've got this polarization between do you get vaccines? Do you not get vaccines? Do you have mask mandates? Do you not have man- mask mandates? And we're dealing with it as employers. And uh, frankly, our employees are dealing with it and they have even bigger concerns, I think, than we do because they don't have the control that we have as, em- as, as employers. So I'm very fortunate, we're very fortunate today to have Bob Kohlhepp, um, who's got an amazing career, all this experience. I think we all always ought to learn from people with more experience than us. And Bob, welcome to the show. Tom, thank you for having me. So if you could, Bob, just give us a little bit of your background so people know just how much experience you do have because you have some amazing experience. Okay, well, I uh, uh, started with a company called Cintas in July of 1967 as controller. Uh, prior to joining them, I was with a CPA firm, practicing CPA myself, and uh, I got a call one day from the founder of the company, and he told me that uh, he'd like to talk to me about coming to work for him, and I met with him and was very impressed by him and uh, the vision that he had for the future. He told me he wanted to build a very small company at the time of sales of a million and a half dollars and 62 employees into a national company, and uh I started as controller and retired in 2016 as uh, chairman of the board uh, and held lots of jobs in between, uh, VP of finance, uh, executive vice president, president, chief operating officer, CEO, vice chairman, and then chairman. Uh, We grew the company from uh, that meager beginning in 1967 uh, to from a million and a half in sales to seven and a half billion in sales from 62 employees to over 40,000 employees. And uh, I wasn't certainly the only person that did that. There were a lot of people that did it, but I was an integral part of it and uh, and had a wonderful experience doing it and learned a lot of things in the process. Well, and so thank you. I mean, you've got all this experience managing, leading, um, small company, big company, and uh, e- even um, can relate to those of us uh, poor souls who are still uh, with CPA firms. So um, here's, here's the big issue right now, I think, in the workforce. Um, obviously, it's challenging hiring, recruiting, et cetera, but I wanna focus on uh, 
not the mandates per se, the vaccine mandates, but how do you work with employees? We have, on the one hand, we have employees that are scared to death of COVID. I mean, we do. They are terribly fearful of, uh, of contracting COVID. We have other people who think COVID, that's just a flu. You know, what's, what's the big deal here? And, but, and they're, they work well together. They're, they're good employees uh, on both sides. There's people in the middle, of course, uh, like I, I think you and I were talking like we probably are. And so what do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you navigate through this as, uh, as the leader of your company? Well, I think you, first of all, have to communicate to your people, give them facts and information. I don't think it's appropriate for a company or frankly, the government to order people to get a vaccine, uh, particularly when none of the vaccines have been approved by the FDA that are being used in the United States. The Pfizer vaccine is approved, but not, that's not the Pfizer vaccine that's used in the United States. I don't know if you're aware of that, but uh, I think you have to communicate with people. I would encourage anybody to get a shot, uh, to get the vaccine, uh, unless their doctor advises them against it. Uh, if they're afraid to get the shot, I understand. I think you should try to accommodate them if you have them work from home, if their job is such that that's possible. Uh, I think uh, uh, if you have a good employee, maybe you uh, put them on a leave of absence until such time as they feel comfortable getting the shot or comfortable coming to work uh, because good employees are hard to find. Uh, and, but I think you got to share as much facts and information as you can. You have to follow the law. Uh, and so even if you disagree with it, that's we are a country of laws and you should follow the law. And I think you just have to accommodate people as best you can and uh, deal with it that way. But I think giving people facts and information upon which to make an intelligent decision is the best thing you can do for your employees. Okay, so so let's uh, take a, a real life example. Um, we have uh, 20 employees in one of my companies and uh, some of those employees are vaccinated, some are not vaccinated, uh, some are, are fearful of the risk of um, getting COVID, others are fearful of the risk, uh, they, 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 fear, they fear the vaccine for whatever reason. Um, how do you, you know, I, I get that if you're, if you're a company of 40,000, maybe you can let, a, you know, even 100 people uh, be on a leave of absence or something. But if you're a staff of 20, you can't do that, okay, because every one person is 5% of the company. So right. how do you, you know, once you've communicated that, they still have their opinions, et cetera. What do you do? How, how do you integrate them? How do you work that through? Um, and, and I don't think this is a short-term issue, frankly. I think this is a potentially longer-term issue as people are just very cognizant of the health risks of working in an office. Well, if you can uh, accommodate the people who won't get the shot to work from home, if that's possible, I would do that. Uh, anyone who's afraid to come to the office, uh, you know, I think in a, in a CPA firm, your ability to do that is probably a lot greater than in many firms. We have uh, uh, thousands and thousands of people driving our vehicles. We can't, obviously, you can't do that from home. Um, I would encourage everybody to get the shot unless they're advised not to get the shot. And, and I would encourage them with facts and information as opposed to saying, you know, trying to dictate to them. Um, 
But I think if you get to the point where a person simply won't, and then of course you can wear masks and you can social distance and do the other things to minimize the impact of, of a person being exposed. But I think in the long term, if, if a person won't come to work and you can't do their job remotely, you're going to have to replace them. Uh, you don't have much choice. You have to. You have customers. You have to take care of your customers. And uh, uh, so I think uh, the good thing about only having 20 people is that if you only have to replace four or five of them, that's not nearly as hard as you would in our company where you have to replace thousands. No, that that that's a good point. That that. Could be easier um, where there's a huge shortage in, in our profession of staff. So let's talk about that bigger issue because what we really want is we want a culture where people, I, I always say, I want a culture where people love coming to work. I truly, I think work, I think work is a good thing. I don't think it's a bad four-letter word. It's a good four-letter word. And I, I think that most people do enjoy working. I know that in our, in, at WealthAbility, people love working with each other. They may be not quite comfortable coming to the office yet. Um, so it, how do you establish that kind of a culture? Because clearly, if you went from 62 to 40,000, you had to establish a very strong, uh, deep culture, else you wouldn't have been able to do that. No, no question about it. The way you do it is you define your culture. Uh, our culture consisted of three things, a principal objective, one sentence that drove every major decision we made. Uh, the second part of it was our corporate character, which were adjectives and phrases that described the way we conducted our business, the way we felt about our customers, the way we felt about our employees, uh, uh, you know, the thoroughness in which we did our jobs, uh, ex uh, having goals and meeting goals, things like that. And then the third part of our culture was a management system where we defined the solution to recurring problems and documented them in what we called an operations manual. We had a corporate manual that spanned the whole company, and then each operating group and staff department had their, their manual. And so you didn't have to reinvent the wheel. You took the best ideas that, that the experience has taught you that how do you deal with a particular problem. For example, let's say you had an accident in your plant. Instead of panicking and saying, gee, what do I do? You could go to our policy manual and say, here are the steps you take if you have an accident plant. Who's allowed to buy a truck? Who's allowed to build a plant? Who's allowed to sign a contract? All those things were well documented. So those three things, our principal objective, our corporate character, and our management system made up our culture. We wrote books about it. We taught classes about it. Uh, we explained it to people over and over again. Uh, and most importantly, we hired people who we were, were compatible with our culture. And in fact, when I would interview someone, I would spend the first half of the interview trying to determine, is this person qualified to, to do the job? I'd spend the second half of the interview talking to them about, are they compatible with our culture? We'd give them our book called The Spirit is the Difference that described our culture. And I'd ask them to read it. And I'd then want to have a follow-up interview with them. I'd find most people read that book and they'd get all excited about the way we ran the company. Some people would read that book and thought we were a bunch of weirdos. That's fine. They just didn't belong in our company. That doesn't mean we were better and worse. We just weren't compatible. Uh, the analogy I always use was, was dating. You know, when you're, when you're dating someone, you're trying to determine, can you spend the rest of your life with them? Uh, and you get to know each other and you ask each other questions. And if one spouse wanted to have children, and the other one didn't, when do you want to find out about that? Before you get married or after you get married? The obvious answer is before you get married. 
we did we did very thorough interviewing techniques to determine whether a person was compatible or culture. And it was built on, on a system we called past behavior predicts future behavior. The way people handled something in the past is almost not always, but most of the time going to be the way they handle it in the future. So we'd ask questions like, have you ever fired anybody? Tell me about that. Why did you fire them? Did you talk to them? Did you give them every opportunity to succeed before you fired them? I'd ask questions like, What's the most difficult decision you ever made in your life? Tell me about it. How'd it turn out? If you had to do it over again, would you have done it differently? Why? So you're asking all these behavioral questions, situational questions to determine in this situation, how would this person have dealt with that? And uh, you'd be amazed at how much you learn about somebody. And in that process, we would determine, are they compatible with the way we run our business? Doesn't mean we're better or we're worse, but are they compatible? And only then would we hire them, even if they had the skills to do the job. If we didn't think they were compatible, we would not hire them. Yeah, I always tell people, it's okay if you want to do your th things your own way. It's just you can't do them that way here um, because <laughs> we have a way of doing things. Uh, there is a, 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 what I'm hearing from you is I'm hearing a couple of things. I'm hearing really high communication and explaining the facts of what really is going on, what you really want. So being very transparent about that. So that's one thing I'm hearing. I'm hearing that you are very strong on your culture and that you do not hire somebody because they have a great skill set if they don't fit your culture. And but to know, but to do that, you have to know what your culture is and what you want your culture to be, and you have to stick by it. Um, that to me is the, really the third thing, which I think is the biggest one you brought up is you require decisiveness. It sounds like you're asking for people, how did you handle this problem? How did you solve this problem? Um, because we need you to be decisive in this business and we're going to be decisive ourselves about whether we want you in our business. This, this, am, I, am I on track there, Bob? Well, yes, except uh, not only decisive, but decisive that is in a way that is compatible with the way we exactly. are discussing. Right. So to say, make the wrong decision. <laughs> well, and I will say, for example, in our culture, um, making a mistake is, is fine. You, you're, it's fine to make a mistake as long as you come up with a solution so that there's not a repeat of that mistake or there's not, you know, we're not doing that same mistake over and over again. I actually like people to learn from their mistakes. I think that mistakes is an important part of learning and kind of schools drum that out of us that we're not supposed to make mistakes. I actually think we are supposed to make mistakes. Um, well, what no, do you question, no question about that. And I would say to you that the only people I know that don't make mistakes are people don't do anything. The ones you worry about, as you say, are the ones who make the same mistakes over and over again. Allowing people to try things and try new things is how you innovate. And so you, you need to try things constantly to, to improve things. So, um, you know, getting back a little bit to our, our current situation with um, uh, COVID and returning to the workplace, you, you, you oversaw uh, CentOS um, during a massive technology change changes. Um, from the time you started in the 60s until you left um, in 2016, there must have been massive technology changes. How, uh, how did technology impact or uh, help or detract from your culture and your retention of employees? Well, uh, I think you have to embrace technology. Uh, 
uh, particularly if it's advantageous to you to do so. Uh, we automated many processes that were previously done manually, the way we communicated with each other, uh, the way we uh, gathered information and acted on that information, the way we monitor our customers of satisfaction, monitor our employees, all of those things, technology made it a whole lot easier to do. Uh, you know, we, we do regular customer opinion surveys, employment enga employee engagement surveys to constantly get feedback uh, on wh where are plants doing a good job in communicating to their people and engaging their people and where aren't they? Uh, and so uh, technology helped us from an efficiency standpoint, a communication standpoint, an information gathering standpoint. And if you didn't embrace it, you got left behind. So let's talk about that feedback for a minute, because I think a lot of, uh, frankly, I think a lot of leaders are afraid of feedback. So uh, would, you, would you just kind of drill into that a little bit about what kind of feedback you were looking for, how you were going to get that feedback, and how, you, how did you get middle management especially, because I think that's always the toughest place, how did you get manage, middle management to embrace the feedback and both delivering feedback but also accepting feedback? Well, we taught it. We internalized most of our education over time. Initially, when we were small, we would go outside to, to, to get uh, seminars and things like that. And over time, we brought those all in-house and customized them to the way we operated. Uh, we explained in detail the importance of feedback. Every, every partner, we called our employees partners, Every partner in our company received a performance evaluation at least annually. They were new in a job that was more frequently than annually. Uh, and, and it was a two-way communication where the boss would tell the subordinate how they felt about their performance and areas where they could improve. The boss would also solicit from the employee, what can I do differently? Are you happy here? Is there anything that bothers you about the way we operate the company? Uh, and so we'd have that two-way communication on a regular basis. We also had an open door policy. Everybody in our company knew that they could talk to their boss, their boss's boss, anybody in management, anytime they wanted to, and there would be no repercussions whatsoever. And in fact, if there ever were, it was the manager that caused the reproduction, repercussions that lost their job, not, not the employee. And so we, we worked hard to have that open communication uh, we respected the opinions of our people. We wanted to know what they thought. Uh, I used to tell people all the time, uh, the answer is never in your office. If you have a problem, go talk to your customers, go talk to your employees. They'll tell you what's wrong. They'll usually tell you how to fix it. And just because you have this title manager or supervisor behind your name, doesn't mean that you know more than the people doing the work. The people doing the work see the problem all day, every day. So you have to solicit their involvement. You have to listen to what they have to say and you have to give them feedback when they give you input. So we don't know what we don't know, right? Exactly. And, and that's, that's the biggest challenge I think is not knowing what we don't know and, uh, and, and getting that feedback and being willing to take that feedback. When you do get that feedback, so let's say that you solicit that feedback from employees, how do you communicate um, with your employees that you're actually paying attention to that feedback? Because one thing to solicit it, one thing to get that feedback is another to act on it. Well, we would report back to the employees is what we would do. We have uh, in every one of our plants, we have 400 and some locations across the United States. Every one of our plants every month has what they call safety and improvement committee. And where the general manager of that particular location will sit down with randomly selected people that work in the plant 
a second meeting with people who drive our trucks, and a third meeting with people in the office and administrative area. And they'll sit around for a couple of hours and talk about what's going on. What can, is there anything we can do to make this place a better place to work? How's this working? How's that working? I would do that in our corporate office every month. Just uh, I take people from our distribution center or people from our accounting department or people from our marketing department. And we just sit around and we talk. And I would learn all kinds of things about what was going on in the company. Sometimes things that were shocking to me, but not, not that frequently. But when people see that the boss cares about what they think and they get, they get feedback when, when, when something is communicated and it's a problem, they get feedback on here's how we're going to deal with that problem. And we didn't always agree with the employees when they had uh, felt something was a certain way. And if we didn't agree, we would talk about it. But we always respected their opinion. And we always solicited their opinion and we always gave them feedback. If I, if I disagree with someone and say, I understand how you feel about that. I really do. But I feel differently about it. And the difference is I'm the president of the company. I have to make this decision. So I hope that you will go along with my way. If my way doesn't work, we might try your way. But so you have to have that communication. I think that's key to it. Uh, that's what I keep hearing from you, Bob, is, that, is that, that communication back and forth with the employees. Make sure that uh, this is not opinion, but it's rather facts, um, that we're looking at the facts and, and having the data to support. Okay, if we're doing it this way, here's the data to support why we do it this way. Just so you know, we're not just making a random decision here. Um, the, the same would be true, I presume, when if you start to look at data, will, will employees ever get back to work? And I am curious about that. Um, I don't know what data you've seen. Do you think um, that employees will eventually come back to work? Or do you think that this work from home is uh, here to stay? Well, I would encourage any employer to try to make sure that people ultimately get back to work. Because I believe that if, you're, if any large percentage of your employees uh, work at home, your turnover with those employees is going to be a lot higher than the employees you get to know and talk to and, and you know, talk around the water cooler, or sit down and have lunch with them and so forth. You can't develop a kind of relationship with a person over the phone that you can face to face, in my opinion. So I do think things will get back to work. I think things will get back to normal. How long that's going to take, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, a lot is going to depend on our healthcare industry, and you know, I just understand that Merck is about to get approved a, a, a pill that people can take if they get COVID that will significantly lower the effects of COVID. So I think we will overcome this. Uh, frankly, I think in some ways it's overblown, uh, and, and the communication has been so poor from the government, you don't know what to believe because they come up with a completely different theory every two or three weeks, and it just doesn't make sense. And they. They say they're following the science, and yet the science contradicts half of what they tell you telling you to do. So, uh, but I, I think this it'll pass, and I think eventually the vast majority of people will come back to work. And I would, uh, I know in our company we are encouraging people to come back to work as best we can, uh, because I think you just lose touch with them if they aren't if you don't see them face to face. No, I I, I agree with that. I I think that uh, there's. Uh, frequency of interaction is a, is a key to maintaining that culture and maintaining that relationship. So if you could, just to wrap up here, Bob, maybe give us two or three things that uh, uh, leaders uh, can do and that they could do right now 
to Im improve retention and improve their culture, improve the way people want to come uh, and, and actually make it so people want to come to work? Well, I think respecting people's opinion would be the first thing that would come to my mind. Uh, hiring people that are compatible with your organization would be the second thing that would come to my mind. Uh, and then I think also uh, uh, documenting your, your culture, your values, what you stand for, what you believe in, communicating those to both current employees so that they understand your expectations on how they should conduct their business affairs. And, and more importantly, evaluating whether a prospective employee fits your culture because if they don't fit your culture, they're not going to go very far. They're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy with them. And so have a process where you identify new people and, and determine uh, very carefully their compatibility with your organization before you hire them. Uh, we did a study years ago that caused us to document our culture and, 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 and then end up with a system we called meticulous hiring which is a very thorough hiring process. I mean, so thorough that some people ask themselves how many more interviews I have to go on before these people are gonna offer me a job. But the reason we did that was that when we analyzed our turnover, we found the number one reason for turnover was we shouldn't have hired them in the first place. Mm -hmm. So we got much more thorough and, and, and detailed about the way we went about hiring people. That's all in my book. That goes back to the old adage, hire slow and fire fast, right? So, <laughs> I, I like that. So, uh, Bob, just tell us a little bit about your book and uh, where we can get it. Okay, my book is called Build a Better Organization. And uh, I wrote that book because I've been blessed to have uh, about 50 years of experience of working with and, and for one of the best managed companies I've ever seen. And I didn't want to take that to my grave. And I wanted to document the lessons I've learned and the stories that I've told uh, to help other people. Uh, I have a website called robertcolehep.com and you can order my book through the website, which would be through Pathways, but it's also available uh, at uh, barnesandnoble.com and at, on Amazon. And I have a, 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 a audio version of it available on Amazon as well. Oh, that's, that's true. And, and did you read your book? Did I read my book? Yeah. About a hundred times. Yes. <laughs> did you read it? Is, is it your voice on, on the audio? Oh, no, it is not. It's not. Uh, okay. No. So we don't no, get. I, I, I thought about that, but I thought, uh, uh, so I got someone that sounds a little bit like me, but he, it took him about one tenth the time it would have taken me to <laughs> I've done that. So I know just, just what a, uh, what a struggle it is um, to be doing the reading of a book. So uh, Robert Kohlhepp, it's K-O-H-L-H-E-P-P, -P, correct? Correct. Yes. K-O-H-L-H-E-P-P.com, -E And Robert, uh, Bob, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for sharing uh, your 50 years of experience and looking forward to uh, reading Build a Better Organization. We always want better organizations and uh, we, we absolutely appreciate you being on the show with us today. Okay, Tom. Well, thanks so much for having me, and it was my pleasure. Absolutely. And just remember, everyone, that, you know, when we build a better organization, when people love coming to work, um, when, you know, when people know what to expect when they come to work and they fit our culture, we're always going to end up with better clients, a better practice, and better life. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.